Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. This is Matt. I'm Matt too. We are in the throes of the legislature. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, Matt. It, it's cold out there. It is very cold out there. But things are heating up in Augusta. <laughs> Jeez, I should have seen that coming. Okay. See, this is why you bring me in for these amazing, amazing bits of humor and jokes. Not the commentary or the knowledge that I have because that's very little. And if you've been listening... You're well aware of that well fact. Well aware. So we did have our first session in front of the Education Committee yesterday. They went through uh, to like seven, seven or eight bills? Yeah, seven or eight, yeah. Seven or eight bills. And you were there. I was. I was there for the morning part. We were a little bit delayed because of the snow, um, but heard all about things like next generation science standards, uh, for-profit colleges that act to ensure their integrity, um, a couple of resolves. And then the afternoon was about things like teacher evaluation and a couple other stuff. And you are not going to hear any of that stuff today. Psych. You're not. Because we want to have a separate pod that we talk about the actual testimony that is on the website, which just showed up this morning, so we, which is why we didn't, we're not going to do this quite yet today. Right. Well, we'll go over a full, a full recap. But, a full recap. But, but now that we have the testimony in hand that we can read, because there was... There were about 10 people who came in and provided testimony there in favor and a couple, one against and one not neither for nor against. But there's a whole lot more on the website that were provided for written testimony. So we, I think we should be doing a better disservice if we just said let's talk about them all instead yeah. of just what was there in public. I think so too, especially so, since we're not going to be able to make it to every session. We No, we will not. So one thing we you do have do, jobs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... One thing I do want before we start is since you got to go there yesterday and I didn't, mm -hmm. can you describe the new room that the Education Committee is in? Sure. The new room is down the hallway now. So it used to be right off of the main lobby. Mm -hmm. But now you go down one of those hallways and it's, uh, it, is a wider, it seems to be a wider room mm -hmm. than previously. Um, but there is, it, it's, you know, the legislators are, and senators are set on, on a, basically a U-shaped or uh, in, in the, in the the back there looking at everybody and then there's mm -hmm. rows of chairs and um there's a giant column in the middle of the room for um obstructed view nice. which is fun um I are, did, are those seats cheaper when you go in they absolutely are and good. they're really good if you if you want to provide testimony but don't want to be seen excellent while doing it and so then what happens is people file in and then they start the, the hearing and then you walk up to the, to the podium you sign your little name away, say that you're dependent testimony, and then you go and talk. And then the legislators will ask questions, if they have any, mm -hmm. of your testimony. For yesterday, did they have a time limit for you? Or did they have an actual clock? Because I've done some testimony where they have a clock. Uh, they did not yesterday, and I don't think they felt they needed it because there wasn't, right. wasn't a whole big mass of people there. I would imagine gotcha. that if there are a lot of people there, they'll, they'll bring that out and make sure that everyone's keeping to the time. Gotcha. Okay, that sounds very exciting. It was fun. It was a, it was an interesting interesting morning, to say the least, to see the process uh, happen. And we'll get back as soon as we can to see some of those, but we'll definitely be listening or reading the testimony at the least. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that in the upcoming weeks. What we're going to do today is go over another day's worth of upcoming bills that are, have public hearings. They, they, they did make mention yesterday that uh, Senator Millett did say that um, this is an example of what it's going to be like, like the, the the day how it can kind of stretch out a little bit, and they have over 200 potential bills coming before them, and the looks on some of the legislators' faces were like, 
two. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, they, they, I don't think they realize what they're getting into this this season, this session. It's gonna be. <laughs> I believe it. It's gonna be long and arduous. I think that they're that usually they'll take a, a lunch break, but yesterday they said nope. Go down to the cafe, get your lunch, bring it back here. We're gonna eat while we're hearing testimony. Boom. <laughs> and because we got to get this stuff done. Good. Good for that. That's that's a good thing because uh, the main legislature is relatively short. Oh, they, yeah, they, absolutely. Doesn't this one end in April? Either late April or early May, yeah. Okay. It I can be extended, of course, but it's 200 bills in three months of It's ridiculous timing. Week. It is yeah, a sprint. It is a sprint. So the ones we're going to discuss today have public hearings on Monday, February 4th, in the morning and afternoon. The one after that... The next scheduled day is Wednesday, February 13th, which mm-hmm. we'll be talking about on our next pod. Uh, so today we're just going to talk about the ones on Monday, February 4th. Uh, we're going to take them up in the order that they are announced, not the numerical order, uh, just to get a little technical there. Sure, so, they, 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 they do reserve the right to change those up the morning of. And that pretty much of. happens all the time. It, 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 it regularly does. Yeah, regularly does. All right, so the ones we're going to do today are Monday, February 4th at 9 a.m., again in room 208 in the Cross Building. We're going to start – well, okay, we're going to start with the one – we're going to skip one. Yeah, we've we got to skip one. We are going to skip all of the bills that are more cultural affairs instead of education-related. Because education is not really culturally related. No, not at all. Not at all. So we're just going to dump those. We're just not going to do anything cultural. We're just going to stick ed- on only education and education alone. So – in the morning, <laughs> we're going to start. We only we only have two that we're going to talk about. The first one is LD one fifty. It is an act to improve attendance at public elementary schools, uh, and it is presented by Senator Libby of Androscoggin and co-sponsored by a whole load of people. Mm, sure is. And we're going to talk about the second one at the same time, which is LD one fifty one, which is an act to align state law with current practice regarding required school attendance. So I'm assuming that these are going to probably be combined at some point if it gets that far. That one is presented by Senator Millette and co-sponsored by Representative Cornfield, along with a couple others. Uh, but those are the two chairs of the committee. And Senator Puglio from Kennebec is also, on, the also committee. on it. Okay. So you got of the of the four people presenting that one, three of which are on the committee, two of which are chairs. So you know that one's serious. There, there, there. That one's going to run. That no, no surprise. That one's rose into the top of the. Well, it's pretty quickly. So let's talk about 150. 150. Okay, so 150 is doing some clarifications as far as I can tell. And it is adding language about attendance of persons five years of age or older and under seven. Because mm-hmm. right now in statute, uh, you are not required to come to school until you're seven. So this kind of talks about those kids who come to school when they're five or six and kind of puts them into the law and see what the, what their requirements are and what they're not required to do. And this will be relevant when we talk about the LD-151 also. Right. So this one talks about if they're enrolled in a day school and they're five or six, they're required to attend the school during the time it's in session. Mm. So I think, help, tell me, help me if I'm wrong here. This is clarifying that if you're five or six, even though seven is a state law to show up right now, if you're enrolled in school, you should be there. Yes. they. And, and I'm guessing that some five- or six-year-old kid's parents have said, my kid doesn't really have to show up to school, so he's going to go on, like, Mondays and Fridays. Right. I've, I've enrolled the student, but we don't have to show up because the state law compulsory attendance is 
seven. That's my guess. It that, seems reasonable. That's how that's how I read this. That's how I read this exact bill, which is to say, nope. If you're enrolled, coming to school, go to school. It uh, follow yeah. follow follow the rules of that school for their attendance. You With have an to be there. Point exactly. Right. Like, show up. Uh, later at the end, it talks about um, what happens if they are truant. Also, it just kind of puts them into the list. Um, it has the equivalent of seven full days of unexcused absences or five consecutive school days. It kind of just puts them into the list that if those kids at five or six are enrolled, they need to be at school. And if not, they're, they are uh, responsible under the truancy laws to show up to school. Otherwise, they could be considered truant. Right. So it's, it seems like more of a clarification one. It, it it does, and it seems to make, make just to make it clear as to yeah. if you're if you're enrolling in school, well then you're enrolled in school. Go to school. That's so, how I read it. At least that's how I read it too. So let's talk about the second one, the yep. one fifty one. So this one just changes one thing. It changes the required age to show up to school. Changes it from seven to six. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have? Talk about the waves that could come from this oh, because you seem to have some waves. So. I, I I don't. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 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 genuinely curious to see what happens with this because um, the, the the law has been seven for so for so long. Um, practices have been six or five for so long. Kind of that's where I was thinking. Right? Is like okay. So do we have any kids that you know of that are showing up for the first time? in your schools that are seven years old? I can't recall students who are not coming. No. I can't I, I can't recall of a situation. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I can't I can't place a time that so, I've that I've seen it in that way. So maybe this is just reflecting practice a little bit? Of what of, of the way the of world what actually, actually is. happens. So I'm interested in seeing what happens at the testimony for this one. And That's going to be fascinating to read. Well, it's the thing is, it's not just the people who are going to testify, but the initial, uh, the people who sponsor it, the legislature who sponsor this, go up and talk first right. about why it was introduced. So I'm really interested in hearing what they have to say about this seemingly minor change, if there was anything else about it that made it, made it brought up, or why sure. is this one there right now? It seems pretty straightforward to me, but... I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't think know. it's straightforward too, and I'm actually very much in support of this because, as we, as us in the education field know, and a lot of folks know now, um, early intervention matters, and getting students into school earlier does help and support them. It doesn't mean they have to be there, you know, at two years old, going for nine hours a day, but but having an early intervention does help, right? Um, don't put anything into people's minds. Well, you know. It's it's just an idea. I'll float it out there. You know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you know, take it for what you will. Um, but we, we do know that early mention helps, and we have a lot of students, a lot of kids who are in need of support, or, yeah, or, or early ages. And so, maybe seven is too late, too long to to wait to start that school process. And so the there is a lot of uh, a lot of stuff uh, that is has not had a public hearing yet about uh, pre K. Stuff so that that's gonna that is that's that, a lot that of is, stuff upcoming. That's gonna be a big a lot of those. There were a lot of those bill titles that were pre K 
and or CDS related, and so all that stuff is going to be lumped into a couple of things. Yeah. I'm sure coming up. We'll see. We'll have it's some gotta full be. days where those are probably combined together for all the hearings and stuff. It would make sense to do that. Yeah, I think that's why the, these two attendance ones get thrown in the morning because yeah. they kind of relate directly to each other. They have, they'll one kind of begats the other. Yeah. So. So let's talk about the next one. We talk about. Monday the 4th at 1 p.m. These are the ones that are scheduled for the afternoon. Again, they uh, may be pushed back a little bit, depending on what happens in the morning. After the lunch break. And the order might be a little different, but we're going to start with the order we've got announced. We start with LD63, which is a bill to an act to improve responsiveness of elected school boards to the public. Yep. And here's what it says. <clears throat> It's, it's kind of long. Are you ready? Okay. And by long, I mean very short. Okay. A school board is accountable to the residents who live within the boundaries of the school board's district who are the school board's constituents. End. And the summary for this one says, this bill clarifies that a school board is accountable to the residents of the school board's district who are the school board's constituents. Now, yes, that's what that, is, that is what it says. I I don't know how I feel about this because in, in, in one way I agree because the constituents do elect. On the other hand, the school board's number one responsibility is to the students of that particular district. So that if, if the public were to say, we want to go this one way that is a vi- that is, goes against all of good, best educational practices and research and everything, does the school board have to then respond and listen and adhere to those understandings? Or can they say, well, if the educators say, no, we want to go this way, but the public doesn't necessarily agree... Well, or a loud version of the public, let's say. They one thing school boards do is they set the budget, right? They have to raise the money. They set a budget, they set policy, and they hire a superintendent. And the superintendent carries out all the things that they want to do. Correct. And if you're unhappy with the way the school direct school board uh, with the school district is going, uh, the school board fires the superintendent. If if there's a significant yeah they yeah. Sure. If, if they want a different direction, right, yeah. they'll get a new superintendent. Correct. And then the superintendent implements the policies that the school board passes. Correct. So this one seems minor. I hate the word accountable, for one. That's just a personal peeve right there, one. But who live within the boundaries. So think about this one. If you have people come to your school board and want to talk that don't live in your district. Mm-hmm. That may be aimed a little bit at that. that sure. They don't. Really, okay. They don't. They don't have to. If you, for instance, came to my school board to talk, you don't live in any of the towns in my school district. Why do they need to talk to you? Why do? You, why did? Why should they allow you to talk when you're really not part of the district? Or why should we be setting policy or practice based on the opinions or voices of people outside of our district? Because you know, in the mm. in this in this globalized collected era, you you can hear, you can hear stuff from just about anybody, and anybody can chime in, on anything, and so someone could you know, say something that they're not even part of your district, and then that might have an influence on, the, the board members' decisions. I think you're partially describing this entire podcast. I, I may I may very well be people with opinions, that don't really know much. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the next one. So who one. are we accountable then to? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the, our listeners, of course. Yes, thank you very much, our listeners. Wonderful out there. Thank you for engaging with us on, on social media, by the way. We love it. Absolutely. Yes, 
thank you. And this it's is so great. Actually, sincere right now. It, I, oh, it's thank great. It, it 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 makes me very happy. We're not joking on that part. We like that. So the next one, we go to LD137. This is an act to make the main learning technology initiative more cost-effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this one is unfortunate because it's a concept draft. So what a concept draft is means they don't really have any language for this yet. Right. But they want to explore and have conversations about what they could possibly do. And what this does, they want to enact measures designed to make MLTI main learning technology initiative, more cost effective, which may include, but are not limited to eliminating the ability of school administrative units to choose higher cost technology options. That's where I have a problem. Yeah, me too. Because now you're saying that a school district has to choose a cheaper option. Now, I know that's how things happen in a lot of way the buildings happen and construction and there's a there's, plowing there's, and there's, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that where you have to take the lowest bidder yep. to save cost. Yep. Absolutely. However, and I'm going to speak from my district's experience. Go. Um, several years ago, we, my district purchased, uh, or went to, I'm hitting the mic, went to purchase some one-to-one technology at their high school. And we bought, we had an option of going with the uh, higher, a uh, higher version of, a uh, more expensive version, yep. a better version of what it is, or a less expensive version. Yep. And they went with a less expensive version. And within about three months, almost every single one was trying to break. What? And it was terrible. And it be and it was something that we got locked into for several years. It was a contract for several yep. years we got locked into. And the message that we learned, or the district and the administration and the board and everyone learned, was that maybe for some of this stuff, maybe the, the cheaper option isn't the best option. When you're talking about educational technology it's a lot different than plowing the roads it absolutely is and hiring contractors to do certain things this is you know we're dealing with our kids here and like you said you're, you're being locked into contracts if you take that lower quality stuff or the lower right. to the cheaper i wouldn't say lower quality that, that was a mistake but no i would definitely, say it. well cheaper, i'll say that it, it was lower quality mean lower quality but in this case yes it did and most of the time when you're talking about tech stuff, cheaper is not always better. No. Because right? it, 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 it's not going to last. And I think that's, that's one of the, the key problem. points that you said. It's not going to last. And if you have crappy technology in, in front of kids, the whole point of having that is to help them collaborate and see the world and do some research and talk with others about what's out there. And if you don't have that and it doesn't work, now they're, they're stuck a little bit. And it's, oh, yeah. it's re- they really get behind the eight ball, as it they, were. Absolutely, they do. It's not like, you know, like you said, a contractor or a plow person, which, which will come and do a thing on a one particular day, and then you'll hire them for when they need it the next time. The tech pieces of technology that high schoolers are using, or we're not using it every day, multiple times a day for, for, for a lot of really intensive stuff. And if the technology, the hardware, and the software isn't that quality, isn't that good, it's going to break down sooner which means that they're either going to be without it or for a short or a long period of time, or we have to replace it, which is now an extra additional cost to the district. And now it's not cheaper after all. It's, it's not cheaper expensive. after all. That was one of the one of the hard lessons. So this is one area that I will say I, I don't I haven't seen the bill, don't know what it's all saying, but if this is the intention to, quote, eliminate the ability of school administrative units to choose higher cost technology options, I would be concerned or listen interested to hear how those a lot of the folks who think that well no local control let let the local districts decide how they want to spend their money how they feel about this particular side let's go to the next one let's do it next one 
is LD-176, an act to enhance participation on the State Board of Education. Sounds fun. This does sound fun. So what this does is eliminate the prohibition of teachers and school administrators from serving on state board. <gasps> so now you dare they? can have a teacher... Wait, 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 wait. All right. I, I got to call a timeout on this one. Did I go, like, triple I, negatives? I, I, I got to call a timeout. Go. Why would we want knowledgeable, educated, practicing educators on the State Board of Education? Give me one reason why that would be a good thing. So this is – actually, I didn't even know that there was a prohibition. Neither did I. Until this came out. And uh, the other part of this is that – if a teacher or administrator does serve on the state board, the state board is responsible for any cost-related, and they get automatic release time from wherever their districts are, which I think is very fair. I am so in favor of this. Yeah, this is pretty cool. If, if, if you took my, my, my previous little little rant question mark there, it is serious. Please don't because I am this is a this is a good thing to have practicing educators have at least the option. They don't have to do it, but at least have the option of being able to be part of that. State Board of Education. Anytime we can get people who are in the know, who know what it's like to be in the classroom or the administration or something like that, into the realms of leadership, it only helps schools and districts across the state. So coming from the other side of this one, why wouldn't we want, why would we not want teachers and administrators on the state board? The, well, I think the fear is a conflict of interest. Yes, that's exactly where I'm going. So I'm not actually not sure. This seems like a slam dunk to me, but I'm not sure exactly how it will. I think the idea of this one is to basically expand the pool of people on the board. It's a commitment. Boards are commitments. School boards. Absolutely, as, they as are. you all, if you're listening to this one, you know school boards are tough to get people on for any of them. Yes, they are. And enhancing the pool is a good thing. I think some people are going to be worried about if you put somebody on and that conflict of interest immediately shows up. Um, like, because State Board, for instance, votes on um, building new buildings in the school. That they do. In the state, I mean. And if we, my district happens to be building one right now. So if we had people on the State Board from our particular district or town that either really want it or it's like they don't need that yet, they have a more of a vested interest so I can see why they wouldn't necessarily want on a state board of education people who are actually in the in the trenches, as it were, and they want some outsiders. I can see that. I, I can see that as well, but I also think that that's – I don't think that's enough to keep the prohibition I don't either. Out. And I think I, expanding the pool of people on the board is always a good thing. Right. I think what they can also then do is, is update their practices or update their expectations and ethics and make sure that – if something like that happens and if there is a potential conflict of interest, that it's an expectation that Board of Education members will recuse themselves from certain things. And if they don't recuse themselves, then maybe they can take action to recuse them from it. I don't know. That might be a step too far. but We'll find out. Last one of the day. Busy L day. LD-178. This one's my favorite one because I don't think there's any way in hell this stays on the Education Committee for very long. So this one is an emergency. Ooh. It's an act to increase the state share of the cost of health insurance for retired teachers. Okay, so this one is a little complex, kind of. So right now in law, payment by the state 
the state pays a percentage of retired teachers' member share of this insurance. They paid 30% until 2002, 35% until 2003, 40% until 2005, and since then it's been they pay 45% of the insurance. Okay. And that's where it's where we currently are. That's where it currently are. So this bill incrementally increases that up to 50, 55, 60, blah, 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 all the way up to 90% in 2027. Okay. A, fine, good. Maybe. But there's a lot of money involved here. That's why this one's... This one's going to go right over to appropriations. I think it's. I and think it is. Was it, uh, it was assigned also to labor and housing. Here's here's a question that I have about yeah. this one. Is it possible then for with the increases in these monies here for this for them to then say, well, look, since we're paying for the retirement funds, now we're increasing towards that overall fifty five percent threshold to pay for education. Would this feed into that? That's a good question. I don't know. The and answer. so then would we then not be actually, the schools not be getting, like the intention of the 55%, which is to support instructional needs and, and, and curricular needs and, and student needs, but now these funds are going to be coming into it. Now, now if in, by 2027, then if we're, they're paying 90%, does that, how does that factor into the 55%? So I don't know the answer to this one. Does the 45% that, we, that the state currently pays, does that count? As part of the fifty-five percent, I believe so. I'm not sure about that one. I, I don't. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think that just about everything counts into that. I'm sure that question fifty-five percent may or may not come up pretty quickly. I'm sure it will. <laughs> so that one's that one's pretty straightforward. And if That's I'm wrong on that one, please let us know. Yeah, please let us know because this this one I didn't actually think of that one. Um, that one just uh, also the rest of that that bill just kind of cleans up some outdated language. Um, so not much more to it. Mainly the, the idea is increasing the percentage on that one yep. and, and cleans up some of the language from like 2002. Right. Now, if it was just, if it's, if it's by itself, if it's on its own, great. Let's, yep. let's figure out how to do it. And if there's money for it, fantastic. And how are you going to pay, pay for it? Let's figure all that out. Yep. I just have concerns about what, what it's going to take away. You can find out more of that on February 4th at the State House in room 208 at the Cross Building. Yeah, and you can go online and actually listen to the testimony happening live if you want to. And we'll put those links onto our Facebook page. We sure will. And out on Twitter. Yes, at Maine Ed Matters. And on Facebook at Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. That's right. That's where you can find us. And with that, we'll talk about a preview for next time. Sure. Is we're going to have a couple of podcasts next week. I think One, so. One, again, is a review of the testimony that happened yesterday on January 31st. Uh, January 30th. Yeah, give us some time to read the testimony, what? folks. Yeah, well, yeah. Because we could do it, like, just wing it. And that's We've never done that before, though. Yeah, that whole fall thing that we did. Right, we, we've never done that before. We all, always just, just come completely, fully prepared for everything that Next we do. Next week, you will also have a podcast about the upcoming bills scheduled for public hearings on February 13th. Yeah, there's some... Well, I want to do the 14th as well because it's only half a day, so we can do Yes, so yes, a day and a half of public hearings. There uh, are some fun ones on the, on that day and a half, let me tell you. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. <laughs>